Well, thank you, choir, and good job. Romans chapter number 12 this morning in your Bible, please. The book of Romans and chapter number 12, please. The subject is the tech-savvy family. And I've been preaching on this subject of the family, but I've tried to approach it from several angles that were fresh in ways that you don't normally think about the family. And I think today, unquestionably, that one of the greatest influences on the family is technology. I have even seen polling and surveys that indicate that people know that, that technology has literally taken over in their family. And so today I'm really talking to you about a Christian's attitude, a Christian's attitude and relationship to technology. Now, if you're here today and you say, I'm a Christian, what should be your attitude toward technology? And I'm talking about the whole broad range of technology. What should be your relationship to your cell phone? That's most of us think of that as being the symbol of technology today. Is it helping or is it hurting? Is it informing or is it forming you is the issue before us this morning. Stand please, the book of Romans chapter 12, and we read beginning in verse one, and actually this was the passage used last week by Mark Buxton, our missionaries. He spoke to us on Sunday evening. And I just spotted the Sally family, and I should have welcomed them, but you're hiding behind that camera there, and I didn't see you until just now. And I knew they were home, and we welcome you back. It's good to see you today. Welcome to Lamar and Joanne and the kids. In Romans 12 and 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. And how are, we, how are we to be transformed? By the renewing of our minds. We must think differently. That you may prove through the renewing of your mind what is your good an acceptable and perfect will of God. You may be seated. I believe that there are very few people who would disagree with me today that the defining element in our society is technology. That there's nothing more pervasive in our lives than technology. So as I've already said to you as you stood, what should be the attitude of a Christian? What should be the relationship of a Christian to technology? Because it's everywhere and it's all the time and it is affecting us. Let me define technology for you because I need to get everybody's mind on the same uh, place here. Technology, according to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, is the practical application of knowledge in a particular area. Let me say that again. Technology is the practical application of discoveries we make, of knowledge that we have. Of, uh, it's the practical application of science, really, scientific principles. 
and in a particular area of our life. Is technology moral or is technology immoral? The answer is neither. It is amoral. I mean by that that it is neither amoral, it is neither moral or immoral. It depends on how you use it, doesn't it? And so I happen to have my technology in my pocket this morning. And I pull it out, and it's nothing there but plastic and glass and wires and circuits and so on. I can use that to do research for a sermon, or I can view pornography on that same little piece. It depends on the usage of it, whether or not it is moral or immoral. So the answer is, or the question is, is technology good or bad? The answer is yes. It's both, is it not? It depends on the usage of it, of course. The Luddites, have you ever heard of the Luddites? They were a group of English people who worked in the mills, the textile mills, and they were there in the very early days in England, 150, 200 years ago, and they were there when much of the work was done by hand. And then the technology came along and they began to weave with spinning looms and all types of new technological advancements in that day. And the Luddites got together and said, they're destroying our livelihood. If this technology keeps on coming into these plants, we're all gonna be out of work. So they banded together one night and went down to the textile mills and they started tearing up the machine and burning down the mills. They were so, and they've become the symbol, I guess you should say, of people who are anti-technology. Are Christians to be anti-technology? Are the Amish really right? I don't think so. In fact, you look around this place, we have pretty fully embraced technology. We have, other than the TV stations themselves, a complete television studio down that hall there now with hundreds of thousands of dollars of equipment. All we would need would be a tower and we could telecast and have our own station here. We have 300 IP addresses, our IP man tells me this week. We have hundreds of computers, smart lights. I don't know if you've ever noticed these lights but they turn on their own up here according to the programming that's in them. They hang way down and sometimes they move around. There's not a little man up there moving those lights, by the way. They do that in response to a computer program and uh, do what we need during Christmas tree and things like that. We have wonderful sound here, as you can tell right now. We have security cameras and other devices. We have a website, we have texting. Our maintenance man who lives about 20 miles away from here and is on vacation this morning can pick up his cell phone and reprogram the air conditioning in this building from 20 miles away. Oh, we, we're not against technology. Let me get on the record for that real quickly lest you think I be another of the, the Luddites. But my purpose today is to awaken you because I think there is a lot of Christians sleeping and not aware of what technology is doing in our lives. 
My aim today is to inform people, and especially the parents of young children and teenagers, because as one teenage boy said to us recently, to a member of our staff, he said, my parents don't have a clue, referring to his use of technology. I want you to not be a clueless FBT parent, but I want you to know what's happening in the world and the potential for it. Does the Bible talk about technology? Well, the scripture does chronicle the inventions that came along through the history and Bible times. It speaks of various machines and devices that uh, were high-tech at the time that they were invented. For example, in Genesis chapter 4 and verse 21 and 2, it's the very first mention of what we would call technology. It was actually some inventions, including music instruments. It refers to bronze or brass there that was invented during that time in history. And so it speaks much about various inventions and devices being invented. In 2 Chronicles 26 and 14, it's talking about a war. And it refers to the slings upon the wall that cast stones, a new technology of the day for warfare. In verse 15 of 2 Chronicles 26, it talks about engines, and it means literally engines of war. And so these were catapults and various type of new technological discoveries that they used in warfare. In Revelation chapter 11 and verse, verses 8 through 10, we're at the end of the tribulation period, and the Bible describes the two witnesses sent by God to preach the gospel to the world of that time. They are murdered because they represent the Lord. And it says their bodies lay on the streets of Jerusalem for three days. And then here's the interesting part. It says that the whole world will view their bodies lying in the streets of Jerusalem. Now, that was never even possible until our day. But now with television and with YouTube and with security cameras that focus on a particular location, with Facebook, with live stream, there's many different ways that the bodies of those witnesses out there in the future, the tribulation period, many different ways those bodies could be viewed by people anywhere in the world. I would like for you to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, though, and it's just a little tiny diversion here from the main theme, but I want you to look at one of the very cardinal and key passages of Scripture that we believe here at the Florence Baptist Temple. And I want you to notice how we use the Word of God in dealing with technology and how I'll be using it both in this message and then tonight at 6 o'clock, I'm going to conclude this message. This is going to be a part one and a part two message today, okay? So I hope you'll come back tonight. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 16, the Apostle Paul writes these very familiar words, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. There's not any of the Bible that doesn't, is not profitable to us. It has value to us. What is it profitable for? For reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, 
that the man of God, generic man, man and woman, man and men and women of God, that they may be perfect or complete or fully mature or fully, fully developed, that they may be perfect, thoroughly furnished all the way through their whole being unto all good works. 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17. Now mark that in your Bible if you haven't because I'm going to tell you that's an important passage for us here. And I want you to look at two or three phrases there that stand out to me. First of all, in verse 16, instruction in righteousness. That's how to live a righteous life. The Bible tells us how to live a righteous life. Even in the world that we're living in that's such an evil world, the Bible teaches us to live righteously. And the Bible, very frankly, is all you need to be able to do that if you're a Christian and dwell by the Holy Spirit of God. In verse 17, you see the word perfect. The word perfect is not, that particular word is not used anywhere else in all the scripture. And it has the idea of newness or freshness that you may be prepared and that you may be equipped to live a fresh life, a new life, a complete life, a mature life as a Christian. Now, you may not be there yet. You may be in process, but the Bible says it's possible through nothing but the application of the Scripture. That's why this church is a preaching, teaching church. This is not a church where we focus so much on ritual. We don't focus so much. We don't have 45 minutes of music and 10 minutes, a 10-minute sermonette. This is why, according to that scripture right there, that the focus of a church should be the Word of God because only the Word of God promises to make people complete, to instruct them in how to live a righteous life, and to be thoroughly furnished. Notice the word thoroughly. We don't use it like that. We usually read it even thoroughly. But it's thoroughly, all the way through our being, completely equipped. God re- God's Word is sufficient. It reveals everything I need to know to live a complete and victorious life even when I'm on my cell phone. Do I hear an amen, church? It, it, it will equip me to do that. But if I'm not in the Word, of course, it's going to fail. We call that the sufficiency of Scripture, that passage right there. Now, we all know pretty well, I don't need to spend a lot of time on it. We know and understand the sufficiency of, or the, the blessings of technology, though. The blessings of technology. Technology has given us air conditioning. Aren't you happy for it this morning? And it's given us electric lights. It's given us refrigeration and automobiles and airplanes and television and the military is protecting our nation right now with high-tech weapons and the smart bombs. I remember watching the war during the desert storm back in the 90s, and it showed the most incredible thing I ever remember seeing. The rockets came right down through the streets of Baghdad, took a 90-degree turn, and went and dropped right down almost through the chimney of some of those buildings where they were guiding them in. And I thought, praise God for technology. You see, it's everywhere around us. In medicine, inoculations. There were a time when people died of smallpox and they died of tuberculosis. Now we have, 
we can be inoculated for that. Much of the world dealt with malaria, and technology has removed that scourge from the planet for the most part. Microscopes and x-rays and MRIs and CAT scans and antibiotics and laser surgery and stents and DNA. Technology saves our life every day. Communication. We move from the telegraph to the teletype to the radio to the telephone to the television to the computer, to the internet, to the cell phone, to the video conferencing, to the live stream, to the plasma TV, and it goes on and on and on and on and on. It's everywhere. It touches every one of our lives, and it is the dominant, prevalent, defining element of Western civilization. And you and I as Christians are living in that Melu in that whole atmosphere of technology. But there are dangers. And I'm really, for the most part, going to talk about the dangers because nobody talks about the dangers. You know how to use your cell phone and you know how to, you're, for the most part, computer literate. But who is talking about the dangers if God's people don't think about them? And so, I'm going to only get to two of the dangers that I see this morning, and tonight there'll be four or five more. Tonight I'm going to especially talk about education and parenting issues. I hope young parents, I can't make it convenient for you to hear everything on Sunday morning. I hope it will be worth your time to come back. What is technology, though, doing to our relationships? What is technology doing to our relationships as human beings? Every one of us, unless we are sociopaths, and we're not, every one of us have a natural desire for relationships that's God-given. That It is just as natural for me to thirst for relationships with other people as it is for me to thirst for water when I'm thirsty. That comes from the image of God that God put within me when he created me. One of the first things he said is, it's not good for man to be alone. Man needs relationships, not only with a wife or a husband, but across the board. And so God even has that same thirst, that same desire in his heart. Why did he create Adam and Eve? I'm not sure of all the reasons. I can tell you several, but the primary one I want to remind you of is he created them for relationship. And God left heaven and would come down to the earth. I don't know what form he was in, but he would walk in the garden in the cool of the day, the scripture says, with Adam and Eve because God wanted relationship. And it says about the Lord Jesus Christ that he became flesh and what? dwelt among us. He could have stayed in heaven, I guess, because he can do anything, but he didn't choose to. He desired to come here and be one of us and interact with us and fellowship with us to experience what we experience prior to his time of going to the cross. And so, a desire for relationship is a natural and normal part of the image of God in us. And what does it require to have a relationship with people? It requires, first of all, knowledge. 
I can't have a a genuine relationship with a superficial knowledge. Deep relationship requires significant amount of knowledge, first of all. Secondly, relationships require communication. You can't have much relationship with someone or something that doesn't talk back. You've got to know how they feel, how they're responding, what what, what is going on inside them. So relationships require knowledge of that person. You've got to know something about them, their thinking, their beliefs, their habits, who they are. You've got to have communication. There's got to be a back and forth, a two-way thing. And relationships require time. Now, we may think that we can get on Facebook and have a relationship with somebody because they hit the friend button. And we can call them friend all we want, but that ain't a friend. Friendship takes time. You don't have time for 500 friends, I can tell you that. You may have that many on your Facebook account, but you don't have 500 friends in the world. You don't have enough hours in the day and enough life to be able to do that. So therefore, relationship requires knowledge, knowledge not only about something, but knowledge of something. I can know, I know about Donald Trump, but Donald and I are not friends yet because you see, I don't have knowledge of him that's firsthand that I rely on. I can read the website of Florence, South Carolina and know about Florence, South Carolina if I live in Asia somewhere. But I come to Florence, South Carolina, and I live here, and now I have not knowledge about Florence. I have knowledge of Florence. That's a very, very important distinction. And so the family sitting together in the family room, and everybody's got their device turned on, Dad has his laptop, as in the picture a moment ago, and somebody's watching television, and somebody's got their smartphone out. They're sitting together in a room. They may have knowledge about. They don't have knowledge of. They may be in close proximity, but the truth is they're isolated as if they were 300 miles apart because they're so engaged in their own world. Because relationships require communication. I've sat in the restaurant how many times and watched a family come in. And uh, everybody's got their phone out. There wasn't any conversation at all. My wife and I were eating together about a year ago. We had gone out one night. And a young couple came in. And they looked like they were about 22 or 25. And I was sitting right across from them. I could see wedding bands on their hands. So I assumed they were married. And they sat down at the table. Both of them pulled out the phone. They, talk, they, they never said a single word to each other, not one. They're both on the phone. As far as I know, they might have been texting each other. <laughs> and I thought, man, at this point in time, they ought to just be sitting there looking in each other's eyes. They obviously just got married within the last year or two. And when we just first got married, I didn't need a phone. I just sat there and went,
But they didn't even look at each other. Not relationship building time, huh? In the future, they tell me that robots are going to replace 20% of American jobs, that there aren't going to be any truck drivers because we'll have self-driving trucks. I'm going to not get on the highway when 18-wheelers don't have a driver in them. We are going to have nanotechnology where we manipulate the very atoms and molecular structure of uh, whatever it may be in view. We're going to have artificial intelligence and drones are going to replace FedEx with uh, delivering our packages to the door and there'll be universal broadband and on and on and on it goes. So it's not going to be less, it's going to be more. And what is it doing to our relationships? Do you want the number one complaint in a major survey the number one complaint of parents about their teenagers, I wish they would get off the phone and talk. Do you know what the number one complaint of the teenagers about their parents? I wish they would get off the phone and talk. So we're not just talking about young people. We're talking about this thing has so taken over in our whole, in our whole world. And technology deceives us. It deceives us into thinking that we have relationships when we don't. Through Facebook and Snapchat and Instagram and Twitter and Kick, and it goes on and on and on and on. And we substitute quote, internet relationships, which hardly exist for real human relationships and interaction. A man named Trevin Wax, who's a, uh, a Christian writer, a former missionary to the nation of Romania, he has written a book called This Is Our Time. He tells a very interesting story. There are three teenage girls picked out by the host uh, one of the hosts of NPR, National Public Radio. The man's name is Ira Glass. You may have heard him there. He picks out these three teenage girls that are friends from a high school to interview them. And while they sit and wait for him to invite them into the studio, they're taking selfies of each other. Everybody's taking selfies. And they begin having this conversation before he even puts them on the air. And they began to say, you know, I think we need to take it over again. That's not, a, you know, they're, they're, they're arguing about that. And finally, one of them says, no, post them. We got to go. They're going to call for us. So the girls go in and what Glass notices, he just picks up in the middle of what they're doing. He begins to ask them questions about how they feel about the use of the technology. And he said, what I noticed was they are eagerly awaiting the responses in the form of likes and comments and so on. That's all they're talking about. Now, if you think this is just a bunch of uh, little teenage girls who are just dying for some affirmation and some, you know, some compliments, then I think you're dead wrong. Here's what Wax says in his book, quote, 
We are witnessing in these three girls in that studio a complicated social game. To them, a like or a comment is a signal of social significance. When they get a like or a comment back from someone in their network, the responses mean, I'm significant, I'm relevant. It's a way to promote yourself. It's a way to climb the social ladder. In fact, one of these girls says to Glass, I'm a brand, I'm a brand. I'm selling myself to the world when I post on Facebook. I'm a brand. What is happening to that girl in her mind? The technology, which is not good or bad, but it's producing a culture in her mind of self-orientation. See, this is the myth and this is the lie of social media. It says, I am the center of my world. It is a totally self-oriented medium. Now, not everything about it's bad, but it certainly can become what the Apostle Paul wrote about in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 21. He described mankind's heart like this. He said, all seek after their own. Everybody is only interested in themselves in the natural sense. And technology has thrown gas on that fire and that desire in our hearts, I'll tell you that. Marshall McLuhan may be a name that you remember if you ever took communication or anything like that. He was one of the pioneers of contemporary the, uh, technology. And McLuhan wrote these words, in the long run, the media's content matters less than the medium itself in influencing how we think or act. It's a profound, profoundly deep statement. Listen to it again. In the long run, the media's content matters less than the medium itself in influencing how we act or think. Every, at every level of technology, it influences us, and we're not aware of it. We don't even think like that. When Edison invented the electric light, until that time, people had gone to bed at dark and gotten up at dawn. Now we push the limits up, and we stay up till as long as we want because we have light. They didn't have it. When television came along, instead of the family talking and reading a book and having deep heartfelt discussions and deep relationships, what happened? People started watching a box in the corner and ignoring the people around them. Man, think what it would have been like without television now. You'd be talking to your family all evening. You, we wouldn't have Barney Fife if we hadn't have had television, would we? Think of how deprived we would have been without that. You know what the real thing he's saying is? He's saying no matter what form of technology we use, it's not the content of the technology. It is that it influences us, like staying up later, watching television rather than communicating with a family. 
It's not what you're doing on your phone that's in question. It's what your phone is doing to you. It is not what is on the phone that is the problem. It's what is it doing to me. And when I began to read and study for these messages, I began to try to do an honest evaluation of my own life. And I thought, I'm into this thing deeper than I thought I was. If I'm not careful, I'm checking that thing every few minutes. I'm wondering, have I got a new email? Have I got a new text? And I'm focused on that instead of far more important things in so many ways. I'm telling you, it's not a friend of true relationships. And the very way that we sell ourselves through the social media, but it makes us phonies. You ever, nobody posts a picture of themselves when they just got out of bed in the morning at their ugliest. By the time they get through posing and working with that thing, why, everybody's wonderful, aren't they? Hashtag blessing. And it's to brag in many cases. I hope you don't think I'm just uh, being harsh. I'm trying to make you think because I don't know where you're going to go and get anybody else to make you think about it in your relationship with the Lord. But I've got to hurry. One other thing that I want to talk to you about today, and that's the spiritual impact upon us. Someone wrote years ago, and it's sure a good, uh, surely a good statement. The heart is an idle factory. You might want to write that down the margin of your Bible somewhere. The heart is an idle factory. It will create idols out of anything. It's unbelievable how we can create idols. And the Bible teaches us this, when we reject truth, you know, nature doesn't allow a vacuum. And so when we reject the truth of God, we believe a lie and we erect the idols in our own minds. Now, for many people today in our culture, particularly the, the unsaved world, progress is their God and technology is their religion. Stop and think with me about that. I've slowed down my pace here because I'm giving you some pretty weighty stuff I really want you to think about. For many people in our society, in the secular world, progress is God. And technology is their religion. It's the way of accessing their God. And you know what we're doing if we're not very careful as Christians? We're even attributing to the technology God-like qualities. For example... God is all-knowing. He's omniscient. Well, you can, get, you can learn anything you want to know. It's all here, isn't it? Google it. If you don't know, ask Siri or Alexis or Cortana or whoever else it is. I just want to sometimes take Siri and smash her up a little bit. And we get the idea that, hey, if you don't know it, 
Somebody knows it. And if we don't know it now, oh, we'll know it in a few years because technology's always progressing, isn't it? We think about God that God has all power. He's omnipotent is the big word. Well, technology can solve our problems. And whether we're talking about medicine or warfare or economics or education, doesn't technology have all the answers for us? And isn't God omnipresent everywhere? And isn't technology omnipresent? I've traveled a lot of places in the world. I've watched little street kids that were living on the street in Manila, and uh, they had cell phones, using cell phones. I've been in remote, primitive places, and people pull out their cell phones, omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent. If we don't serve the God who is, then we create false gods, and before we know it, we worship them. Have you ever thought about the first temptation? It was, if you want to be like God, eat of the tree of what? Knowledge. If I learn enough, I can resolve my own problems, can I not? And so if somebody has all the information, i.e. the internet, it almost gives them God-like qualities. Have you ever wondered why Steve Jobs chose an apple with a bite out of it? Some say he liked the Beatles, and that was their record label. Other people say he liked to go up to Washington and eat Macintosh apples, and so he named his phone, his company that. I have a sneaking suspicion, if you could talk to him, that somewhere the oldest story of all of humanity about somebody eating a fruit and taking a bite, and most people think it was an apple, though the Bible doesn't say that, that there might be some connection. It's knowledge. And knowledge is a wonderful thing. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, Hosea said. But knowledge without God, uh-oh, danger, danger, danger. It can also destroy, can it not? And so our culture has its own knowledge base, and it has its own ideology. It has its own philosophy. And when I pick up my cell phone, I'm generally not getting a biblical worldview. I'm getting the culture's worldview. And I get it through the internet. I get it through government. I get it through education. I get it through... Uh, the media, I get it through entertainment, which this connects me directly to all those things. Kevin, Trevin Wax again. This is our time, his book. In Romania, people knew the government was pushing an ideology, but what about us? Are we living according to the myths and lies of our culture and not even questioning them anymore? It's so easy to bind to them, and when we do, we feel uncertain and confused about our rapidly changing society, and we lack the confidence in the gospel that we ought to have. And we wonder secretly in our hearts, are we truly up to the task of being faithful at this time in history?
to Jesus Christ. So we're in a spiritual battle. And we pick this up. This is a portal into not just the world of information, technology. It's a portable into the world of spirits. It has a spiritual dimension to it because it takes us to all kinds of places that promote this philosophy of the world. And our battle is not against a smartphone. Our battle is against principalities and powers, but they very definitely control most of what is coming through this. I quote John MacArthur, who said a wonderful thing. I quote, as Christians, we walk a razor's edge in this world. We are in the world, but not of the world, John 17. We use technology to work and develop and produce, but we must be wary of technology. You see, progress is not our God. Innovation is not our salvation. We worship Jesus Christ and we follow his word, even though it puts us on a collision course with modernity. Today's idolatry is charming many Christians. Many find themselves subtly distracted and gently allured by the benefits, the entertainments, and the conveniences technology brings. As Christians in the modern world, we must wake up and we need to listen to an old warning. What is the old warning? Turn to the book of 1 John with me, and we will read that old warning that we must never forget. We'll read it together in 1 John chapter number 2, and I begin reading in verse number 15. These are not the words of John MacArthur or Bill Monroe or of any tech company. These are the words of Almighty God, the creator of the heaven and the earth. And in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15, Almighty God says these words, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Living in the world and using its technology, I tell you, is dangerous business. The forces that accompany technology are becoming more powerful, more ubiquitous, more influential, more consuming every day. But there's a God who stands above it all, watching it fade away. And he will one day call you and he'll call me into account for the deeds of this life. And if you and I can understand, ladies and gentlemen, it's all passing away, then we'll anchor ourselves in the bedrock truth of the immutable God. We'll subvert the world and even the technological world and its wisdom with the true wisdom of God's word. We'll proclaim the gospel of eternal salvation in Christ to a world that needs temporal salvation, who, that seeks temporal salvation in the God of progress. And instead, we'll worship the unfading glory of the immortal God, and we'll scoff at all the fleeting twinkles of the latest technological toys. My friends, 
Be not conformed to this world. Use it, but don't let it control you. And how do you do that? You stay full of God's word. Be transformed by the renewing of your minds. And you do that through the constant ingestion of the truth of God's word. Our heads are bowed.